Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning and welcome church. Hi to everyone on kessetonline.com and on Facebook. Uh, I miss being with you there, but I'll be sharing the message with you today. Hi to Pastor Keith and to Aaron who are hosting the service. Um, We are in the second part of a two-week talk. Now last week we talked about the fact that God is always active and at work in our lives and even in in a season of weariness and heavy burdens. It is more important than ever to not lean on our own understanding, but to let Jesus teach us uh, how we are to carry the things that we're carrying, what to carry and what to set down, what we allow and what we let go of. To allow is to say yes to wherever God is leading us with our words, our actions, and our resources. And to let go is to release what we aren't meant to carry, our thoughts, our worries, and even our expectations. And this process is a daily one. And we undertake it because we know that much is at stake. Galatians 6.2, as we shared last week, says that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That we together are to acknowledge that we have things to carry, burdens to carry, responsibilities, that we are to carry just our own, but also we are to, to pay attention to the needs of our community and the people around us so that we can have compassion and love and grace for them. And so today, with all of that in mind, I want to focus on a particular burden or responsibility that we as Christ followers are to carry and to not set down. Now, one of my favorite theologians, Eugene Peterson, shared this. Within the large context of the biblical story, we learn to think accurately behave morally, preach passionately, sing joyfully, pray honestly, and obey faithfully. But we dare not abandon the story as we do any or all of these things. For the minute that we abandon the story, we reduce uh, reality to the dimensions of our minds and feelings and experience. The moment that we formulate doctrines, draw up moral codes, and throw ourselves into a life of ministry apart from the continuous re-immersion into the story itself, we walk right out of the presence and activity of God and set up our own shop. Now this is wisdom from Eugene Peterson reminding us that there is a story that we are all a part of, And so much of the energy of this word, this fallen, broken world that we live in is pulling us away from that story. And our job is to tell the story and retell the story. Now, when I say the story, I'm talking about the grand story contained in the Bible. Now, this story told through many stories gives us the revelation of God and his son, Jesus Christ. But it also chronicles the story of the people of God. Though it has been told in different times and in different places and through different contexts, there has been a thread spoken through all of the stories. The story tells us that the people of God are a people of hope. 
the scriptures show us that our story is one of hope. From Abraham to the Israelites crying out in Egypt, to those wandering in the desert, to the prophets and to David, to the generations waiting hundreds of years for the coming Messiah, to John the Baptist and the disciples, to the early church, and to the patient expectation of Jesus' return that we live in today. The people of God are a people of hope. This is one of our defining characteristics as Christ's followers, and it is in our spiritual DNA. Now, as I share that truth, that the people of God are a people of hope, you may be feeling a pit in your stomach because maybe you don't feel like a person of hope right now. And I want to speak directly to you right now and say that is okay. What we're going to learn this morning is that this hope that we share is a communal experience. And we all enter into that hope in different places and at different times, and we share hope with one another. And this time that we're living in right now is both difficult to have hope in, and this time it's more important than ever for us as Christ followers to embody this hope. Now, before I jump into this, a few things. Um, this last week, I was out throwing a football with my oldest son, Micah, and he got tired throwing the football, and he wanted to play tag. And so we started playing tag, and we ran around for like four minutes, and the good news is I'm still faster than him. The bad news is, as after four minutes, my lungs were on fire, right? And so I did what I learned how to do playing sports growing up from all my coaches, is I put my hands above my head, right? And I learned that that's the quickest way to recover getting oxygen. As I did that though, I was reminded that I recently just read a study showing that that's not the best way to do it, that actually putting your hands on your knees and breathing that way is the best way to recover. Now, I share this because as people who read the scriptures, we need to be reminded that the Bible is actually meditation literature. And what I mean by that is that it's not meant to be understood always on the first reading. Now this, so often what we do is we take quick breaths with the Bible. It is, the Bible is a collection of stories that we have to deeply breathe in. Living in the time that we do now, we have the blessing of access through social media, um, through print, of having the Bible at all times, having access to its words and to words of encouragement. But one of the things that's on my heart right now as a pastor is that often what we will do is we'll take short, um, quick, shallow breaths of the scriptures and we'll just read one uh, a scripture really quickly and we want an instant gratification from that. And our job as Christ followers is to look at the Bible and say, this is meditation literature. My job is to hover over the scriptures. My job is to read and to reread and allow God to speak to me, to get together with other believers, to wrestle over the scriptures, to ask questions, to pray over it. And so what we want to do today is breathe this deeply in, is not to move into a frantic place of breathing and shallow breathing in. We want to allow God to speak this hope into us and breathe it all the way in. One of the scriptures that I want to, for us to breathe in this morning is Romans 15, 13. This is Paul uh, writing to the church in Rome, this encouragement. 
He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is recognizing that as, as Christ followers, we are to be not just people of hope, but we are to be people who overflow with hope, that we have hope to spare right? This is our mandate. This is our call. And this is what we are invited into. Now, when Paul is talking about hope, the word used here is the word in Greek, elpis. And the basic meaning is a sense of expectation or anticipation. Now, we, when we talk about the idea of fear on the one end, fear is the anticipation of future suffering. And on the other end, hope is the anticipation of future good. Now, when we, when we kind of break this down, this is a very general definition, right? And not a biblical one. And as followers of Jesus, we know that the object of our hope is God himself. So when we back up and we look and we say, apply our lens unto this, the definition of biblical hope is the absolute expectation of future good based on the person and promises of God. Now, I want to clarify something about this hope that I'm talking about, though. Uh, the hope I'm speaking of is not simply just positivity or a denial of reality or just wishful thinking. This type of hope is honest about things, honest about things like COVID-19 and unemployment and our emotional states. It's honest, it's honest about the fact that we haven't gathered together in months now as in physically gathered together as the body of Christ. It recognizes, as John 16 says, that Jesus tells us, in this world we will have trouble. But this hope, in spite of that, brings with it an innate confidence that God is at work bringing forth good into the world in spite of the brokenness that we see. And right now our world is clamoring for hope. There's an unspoken starvation for us for it just below the surface. And church, this is a need that we can meet. We are called to be people of hope. And that's why it's more important than ever that we dive into this, that we hover over the scriptures and our call to be people of hope. Now, the best way to clarify our vision of hope is with the scriptures as our guide. And hope needs something to attach to, to fix itself onto. So I ask you the question, what do we put our hope in? We put our hope in that Jesus will make all things new. We live between the comings of Jesus, the first and the second, and hope is what connects the past to the future. There is a, a Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible that we give to kids and often read to little kids. And there's a saying inside of it describing Jesus who is going to make all things new, who, who is bringing creation back together, healing creation. And it says that Jesus will make all the bad things untrue. Friends, this is... This is not something that we question about. This is something that we look at the arc of where history is going and we know that Jesus is going to do this. We have hope. We place our hope into this fact. We also put our hope in that Jesus is with us in our troubles and in our suffering. He told us that in this world you will have trouble, but the next line 
the more important line is, but take heart for I have overcome the world. His last words before his ascension to heaven were a reminder that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That we are not alone in our sufferings, that we are not alone in our troubles, that they are a part of this fallen world that we live in today, but we are not alone. And not only is Jesus with us, but he has sent his spirit to abide in us, that we have power to move through our troubles. And we also, lastly, have hope that Jesus will use our troubles. His love is redemptive. If we will let him teach us, Jesus will show us how to transform these troubles, to plant them in a way that brings a harvest of freedom and victory and wisdom, one that moves us continually towards Christ-likeness. These are what we place our hope in. Now, Paul, writing to the Hebrews, told us that hope is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Hope is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We're anchored by hope to something greater than ourselves. And although Paul knows that hope is a gift from God, he also knows that we have to prepare the soil for it to grow in. That we can't manufacture hope ourselves. That's not our job. That's a gift from God. But for hope to take root in our lives and in our souls, we have to tend the soil. And Paul had something to say about that in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. He said, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. We'll come back to that one. That's a hard line. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul shows us that to cultivate the soil for hope to grow in, we must embrace suffering because suffering produces endurance. For hope to take root in your life, suffering is required. Paul tells us in verse 3 that we are to rejoice in our sufferings. Now, I want to clarify this. Our job is not to rejoice because of our sufferings. If you're in suffering or you've experienced suffering, this is one of the hardest things to do. But he's reminding us that we are anchored to a hope that is deeper and rooted deeper to something more substantial, substantial and true than our circumstances. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is the anchor for our soul. And he's saying from that place, you can still rejoice. He tells us suffering produces endurance and that endurance produces character. Dallas Willard, um, the great theologian, tells us that to fulfill the high calling which God has placed upon us in creating us and redeeming us, we must have the right inner character. We must come to grips with who we really are inside and out, for we will do what we are. 
if this experience has taught us anything is that sometimes there are some cracks in our foundation, in our character, and it's only through walking through suffering. And I'm not, friends, I'm not telling you that suffering is okay, and I'm not telling you to stay there longer than you need to. What I'm telling you is that there's a way through suffering to endure the right amount of suffering that, that exists in this world, that there's no escaping that. Our job is to endure it well in a way that it produces a deep, abiding character in us, an integrity in us as people. And as we, as we build this character, we know, as Paul tells us, that character produces hope. And this unwavering hope is reminding us that what God has promised, he will bring about. That God will make all things new and exchange beauty for ashes. Now in verse five, I like it better in the New King James Version, it says, hope does not disappoint. The hope does not disappoint. Jesus had a teaching in Mark chapter four, um, a parable that we don't talk a lot about, called the parable of the seed growing. It says, and Jesus said, God's kingdom is like seed thrown on a field by a man who then goes to bed and forgets about it. The seed sprouts and grows. He has no idea how it happens. The earth does it all without his help. First a green stem of grass, then a bud, then the ripened grain. When the grain is fully formed, he reaps. It's harvest time. And what this parable is teaching our job is to sow the seed, but the pace in which that seed becomes ready for harvest is not our responsibility. Our responsibility as Christ's followers is to suffer well with endurance and allow that to build character in us and let that character build a hope in us. But when we get the fruit, the harvest of that hope, we can't put a timeline on that. I know I want to be able to put a timeline on that, but we can't put a timeline on that. And what that tells me, as many of us are still in the midst of suffering right now, what that tells me is our job isn't to harvest the hope from the experience that we're having right now. Our job is to tell and to retell the story, our story of faith, the story of the Christian faith that we see in the scriptures over and over and over again, because we share hope communally with one another. The hope is experience. All come in in different places, right? Whether you are a brand new believer in Christ and you are just building up this endurance right now, you're just understanding embracing suffering, you're just understanding building this character, or if you are a person that has walked with the Lord for a long time and you have an abundance of hope, wherever you start from, we share our hope together. We share our hope together. Our job is to immerse ourselves in the story over and over and over again. Now, if you do go through this process of hope building, sometimes the process can be disillusioning. What I mean by that is it can separate us from our illusions. You may realize along the way, as you encounter suffering, that some of the places that you put your hope were actually in your plans and not in God's purposes. And this can be disillusioning, but disillusioning is a good thing. It means we're separated. We're no longer under an illusion. And friends, my prayer for us right now is that we have a, 
an endurance, uh, a resiliency to understand that through the course of our lives as human beings, we're going to put our hope in some places where it doesn't belong. But Jesus, as we said last week, is saying, will you let me teach you and I will show you the right place to put your hope. Again, the great theologian Walter Brueggemann says that hope is a process and we participate in it as we are able. We don't start most of us right now with hope overflowing, but we do start with the expectation that we will get there. Wherever you are this morning, if hope seems far away, if despair seems like it's so close to us, I want to encourage you and I want to remind you that you are part of a lineage, a heritage of faith, a people of hope. And our job is to live into that and start from wherever we are at and to move towards hope, to trust it, to embrace it. Our job is to put our hope back where it belongs in the fact that Jesus is making all things new, that he is with us in our sufferings and in our troubles and that he will use them for good. Friends, we trust and we know this. This world needs to see a people of hope. Proverbs 23, 18 tells us, for surely there is a future hope and your expectations shall not be cut off. It shall not be cut off, friends. Our hope will not be extinguished. Right now, we are harvesting the hope that was cultivated by generations of Christians before us. We get to borrow their hope when we read their stories and we hear their stories. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, um, one of my favorite things to do lately is just to sit with some friends that have been walking with the Lord for some time. So when I say sit, I mean a Zoom call or a phone call. And just listen to them share about their experiences over time building this Christian character and having a deep abiding hope that doesn't wash off. And there's something about listening to those stories that gives me hope, that hope uh, transcends and hope it grows. And our job in this world is allow hope to grow, not just in ourselves, but into our community because it needs hope right now. We have a message of hope and we are called to embody this hope. This hope gives us patience. This hope gives us confidence. This hope fuels our perseverance. It reminds us that we must interpret the present in light of the promised future. As children of God, we should not be hopeless about what God is doing in this world because we know that God has begun a renewal process that is both ongoing and beyond our comprehension. Now, why is this so important? We want to embody hope for our world, but not only that, Jesus told us that we are to live on earth as it is in heaven. And so this hope isn't just for us. It's not to be contained just in the body of Christ. This world needs this message. And this hope needs to move away from lofty things. We, we talk about these, these big ideas today, but it needs to move into our world, into our everyday lives. Hope needs to destroy injustice of every kind. Hope 
needs to meet the suffering with love and grace and compassion. And so we bring this hope. It is out of this hope, this lofty hope that we know that we go back into our worlds to love in a reckless, passionate, God-ordained way. You are called into that love because you are a person of hope. I will read again for us Romans 15, 13. And I pray that this is one that you breathe in deeply. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We celebrate this story that we are a part of throughout history in every circumstance, friends. We tell it and we retell it and we remember it so that we can remember that we are God's children, the people of hope. God bless you guys. God bless you this morning. We'll see you soon.